Welcome back to Death Walks With Us. I'm your host, Angela. This episode, we will cover the trial, aftermath, and other murders that have a connection to this case, as it seems death and destruction followed Ramirez. This will be a shorter episode, as I'm not going that in-depth about his trial. I am also very over this case, and will try not to do three-parters in the future, but to limit them to two and just make them longer if necessary. First off, some true crime news. There was a 12-year-old child found walking on a street in Alabama. She had been held captive for a week and chewed through her restraints, breaking her braces to free herself. She had been fed alcohol and hit on the head as a means to subdue her. Now, a lot of information has not been released because it just happened. Um, This child had not been reported missing. They don't know why she hasn't been reported missing. But the police did find two decomposing bodies on this man's property. So, I have a theory that those two decomposing bodies might possibly be her parents or guardian. I don't know. It's just a working theory at this point. So far, the police have charged him with three murders and two charges of abuse of a corpse. I honestly can't get over how she broke her braces to free herself. I have never worn braces, but God damn, that had to hurt. But her fate would probably have been worse. That took a lot of courage to be able to do, so I'm sure she probably had no clue when this monster was coming back to her. In other news, Lake Mead, the largest man-made reservoir in the country and is located between Arizona and Nevada, has been exposing its secrets. Because of the drought, the lake has been shrinking and they have discovered four bodies since May of this year. At least one they can rule as a homicide as those remains were found in a barrel with a gunshot wound. The other three they have not been able to determine cause of death yet. So before I even begin I want to discuss some of my research. In researching for the Night Stalker, I came across a list of documentaries that he was in, one being Ancient Aliens. So, I'm not saying it was aliens, but it was aliens that are behind the forces of good and evil. He, Ramirez, wasn't in this episode, just a very brief mention in the beginning, but pretty much, aliens are responsible for playing out good and evil through humans. Anyways, the more in-depth I got into this case, the more I wish I didn't. It's fascinating to understand how a monster can be created, but remember, just because he was created doesn't mean he gets sympathy. He made the choice to murder and do mayhem. He knew what he was doing was wrong. He took steps to make sure he wasn't caught. He gets no sympathy. Many people have terrible horrible, despicable childhoods, but they don't repeat the abuse nor kill for the pleasure of it, for their sick amusement. Statistically, women are more likely to be abused as children, and they are statistically less likely, extremely less likely, to go around and be serial killers and murder for the pleasure of it. 
But the thing that bothers me the most was the women and how that their attraction to him inflated his ego. Because of that, he would put on a show to attract more followers. I will get into that. But first, I'm going to cover the trial and how other murderers are connected to this case. Death and destruction seem to follow this Satan worshiper. I left off last episode with Richard being arrested. Now Richard thought he wouldn't get a fair trial and wanted to plead guilty, though he claimed he was innocent and being framed. Richard was not afraid of dying. He believed he would descend to hell and have a place right next to Satan. So he didn't care if he pleaded guilty and got the death penalty. But his lawyers argued against it. His lawyer actually prevented him from going to court when he was supposed to enter his plea. He had Richard kept in a holding cell because he told the judge Richard wasn't in his right mind because Richard wanted to plead guilty. This could have ended there if his court-appointed lawyer let Richard make his own decisions. The guy wasn't insane and could have made his own decisions. Richard hated this lawyer and his family found other lawyers for him that would be paid through selling the rights to Richard's story as Richard signed over his rights to the attorneys. But because Richard didn't talk, they never got any money. Now, Richard's identification as the Night Stalker had shocked and then devastated his family, but they stood by his side. He convinced them of his innocence. Like I have said, people have a very hard time believing the person they love could be capable of such evil. His family absolutely refused to believe he could do it. And then they blamed the devil that Satan was at fault for the murders, not Richard. At the first public hearing, Richard acted shy and would hide his face. He said he was innocent, but didn't think he'd get a fair trial, so he decided to plead guilty. His lawyer thought he should fight it, and then Richard noticed how much everyone was paying attention to him. Women went to his bail hearing and were writing him letters. He was amassing quite a few groupies. Also, Satanists were writing him about how cool he was. Um, the media wanted more of him, and this started to change his attitude. His ego was growing. It fed his narcissism. Now, the prosecuting attorney would be Phil Halpin, who had been co-counsel when the state had prosecuted Charles Manson. And this guy doesn't back down. He even had challenged Manson's attorney to a fistfight. This trial would be in the same courtroom as Charles Manson had been in, and for that they knew how groupies could cause disturbances due to a charismatic manipulator, and that worried the court about Ramirez getting all these groupies, and he wasn't helping either. At one court proceeding, after discussing Ramirez's wish to change lawyers, was when the infamous incident happened. He held up his hand, exposing a pentagram on his palm. And the 666. And what is also very well known, he shouted, Hail Satan! When being led away for a break, the court and media went crazy. So Richard's attorneys were not experienced, and the prosecutor wanted a fast trial, and inexperienced lawyers would hold it up. 
but it was Ramirez's constitutional right to have these lawyers. These lawyers also convinced Ramirez to plead not guilty. They said they could get the evidence against him thrown out. So he changed his mind and pled not guilty, which made his family happy because they believed him to be innocent and wanted to fight. There were some issues with the prosecution's case, one being the lineup. The major flaw with the lineup was they held it in an auditorium and the witnesses were spaced apart, but they could still discuss anything they wanted. Witnesses are supposed to be kept apart so as not to influence their memories and identification. Also, a sheriff deputy held up two fingers. Richard was number two. This was on video, so there was no denying that the deputy did it. Even if he was doing the V for victory or peace sign, he still held up two fingers and can be seen as influencing witnesses. But it didn't matter. That got to stay in. In the preliminary hearing, the hearing that a judge decides if there is enough evidence to go to trial, a few things happen. The prosecutor got Richard's family banned from the courtroom, said they couldn't be there because they were going to be witnesses. His sister thinks it was to make it look like Richard had been abandoned by his family. And then when the police officer was describing the Zazera murder, the part about him finding her eyes gorged out, Richard burst out laughing and then had a grin on his face as he studied the photos which Richard was allowed to have these photos for his defense and he decorated his jail cell with the crime scene photos. The prosecutor also dropped the charges from the May 9th, 1985 robbery of 85-year-old Clara Hatzel's house because of her recent death. She wasn't home and was not physically harmed. And the prosecutor also dropped the three child abduction molestation cases because the families and the state did not want to re-traumatize the children. Richard had wanted these charges dropped. He said they were lies and when he wanted to plead guilty, he had wanted those charges dropped before he would plead. Criminals don't want to go to prison with the charges against children. He would never have made it to his death date. Even on death row, inmates have ways of reaching other inmates. Now, Claire Hatzel's burglary was very important to the case, and even though they never charged him with it, they still used the evidence from her burglary against him. He had left the Aviva footprints at her home and a palm print on a soda can. This linked the other cases where they only found Aviva shoe prints back to Ramirez. The judge ruled there was enough evidence to move forward. He would go on trial for the Los Angeles County crimes consisting of 14 murders, 5 attempted murders, 15 burglaries, 5 robberies, 4 rapes, 3 acts of oral copulation, and 4 acts of sodomy. The tax from June 27, 1984 to August 8, 1985. They did not include the tax in San Francisco, nor the ones in Orange County, which would be prosecuted later. There were many postponements, which angered the prosecution because they wanted to have a fast trial, but a lot of the postponements were the prosecution's own fault. They were not handing evidence over to the defense. But to be fair, a tactic of the defense 
was to keep postponing as much as possible because a lot of the evidence against Richard were the eyewitnesses. As time goes on, memories change, testimonies get influenced, and then can be dismissed. Witnesses change their mind about testifying. Um, they die like Clara Hatzel did. The preliminary hearing had begun on March 3, 1986, about six months after he was caught. Jury selection began on July 21, 1988, almost two years after being captured by citizens of L.A. It took six months to seat a jury. His infamy made it extremely hard to get an unbiased jury. Changing locations would not have mattered as the whole state had been in fear of him. Richard was suspected of killing 16 and assaulting 11 others. This became the most expensive trial L.A. had up to that point, and he was said to be one of the most terrifying monsters to ever terrorize this country. The trial would last over a year as they had 100 witnesses and over 500 pieces of evidence to go through. Richard had a lot of groupies. They thought him to be extremely good-looking. Women would write to him and try to visit him in jail. One was Doreen. Doreen would defend him in the newspapers as she fell in love with him as soon as she saw his picture, but was shy and took her a while before she contacted Richard, to which she sent a card and her letters to the press defending him. He invited her to visit. She told him to call Collect, and he did. Then she went to visit him in jail. He told her he loved her. I don't think he was capable of love. Doreen thought their love was real, not like the others who visited him. To her, they were what she called street sluts. She was obsessed with Richard. He was all she thought about, and she was different to Richard because she was a virgin. Richard cultivated his rock star status. He wore sunglasses to court every day, partially to rest his eyes because he didn't want to be there. He was defiant in court, would refuse to take off the sunglasses, refused to stand for the witnesses to identify. But even though Richard gained weight in jail and grew his hair out and wouldn't stand, eyewitnesses were able to still recognize his evilness. He did get a rock star-like following while behind bars. It was cultish. Decades later, his image is still unfortunately iconic. He continues to fascinate. At that time, Satanists started coming to the trial and would sit behind him and stare at the jury. This scared them. This was California, and they knew from Charles Manson how a chasmatic leader could get their followers to do anything. Now, let's talk about alternative juror Cynthia Hayden. She fell in love with Richard and wanted to be on that jury. Richard knew that with Satan's help, she would get on that jury. He only needed one to hold out to get a mistrial. It became obvious something was going on between these two, but no one could figure out how these two were communicating. Carlio and Salerno prayed that nothing happened to the other jurors and she would not end up being chosen for duty. And then, when Whitney's father testified, a juror said they didn't know him personally, but worked for the same company. 
Richard uses to get that person thrown off the jury, but Cynthia wasn't chosen to replace them. Doreen became jealous of the attention Cynthia was getting. She thought she was the only one who mattered to Richard. Richard didn't care about these women. He used them for his own personal gratification. These women suffered from bad boy syndrome. They wanted him because he was seen as a bad boy. He was a disgusting monster who brutalized children. Richard was disgusting during witness testimony, laughing at these women's pain, and then his attorney would drill them to try and prove they were wrong. Usually defense attorneys won't because it makes the victims more sympathetic to the jurors, and the jurors will despise attorneys for doing that. These actions, along with testifying, were re-victimizing these women. One woman tried to change her testimony to say Richard had not been able to get an erection and wasn't able to rape nor sodomize her, though he had tried. Even though it's not a rape victim's fault, they are stigmatized for being raped, and it has been considered a fate worse than death. Many prosecutors used to change the charge to attempted rape to save victims from that stigmatization, especially younger girls. The prosecution went forward with the charge of rape because they had the evidence, but also because, quote, penetration is not located in the definition of either rape or sodomy in the penal code of the state. So the victim could have it on record she wasn't raped, and they could get a rape charge. Back to the jury. Juror Phyllis Singletary would show up with black eyes. Other jurors felt bad for her for having to listen to this testimony, then go home to her drunk, abusive boyfriend. Another juror knew a traffic court supervisor who helped with the lineup. Richard wanted that person gone, so this juror was kicked off the jury, and this time Cynthia's name was drawn. Richard was happy because he felt Satan had put someone on the jury who would be sympathetic to him. So, the jury began deliberations on July 26 at 11.25 a.m. They had a lot to go over, and it would take time. During deliberations, one juror kept falling asleep and was replaced. Then, on August 14th, juror Phyllis Singletary did not show up. She had been murdered. The judge put court into a recess and the jurors went home. They were terrified. Many did not sleep that night. They did not know if one of Richard's followers had gotten to Phyllis. Did he send someone after her? Did one of the groupies take matters into their own hands? The next morning, the judge told them Phyllis's live-in boyfriend, James C. Melton, had murdered her. He had written a letter confessing and then killed himself when the police caught up to him. I guess what happened was they discussed the case, which she wasn't supposed to discuss the case. He thought her marriage should be put down and she showed sympathy towards Richard for having poor representation. Which, to be fair, Richard had poor representation. But that was his choice for those lawyers. They argued about this, and James killed her. 
Now, based off of this man being abusive to her and leaving visible bruises on her in the past, what I think happened was he was jealous. Abusers get jealous of any attention that is not directed towards them. They feel entitled to their victim's attention. He probably thought she was falling for Richard as it was public knowledge that he had these groupies. The argument was not over her having sympathy for his poor representation and him thinking Richard should be put down. It was over James' entitlement to her attention and his perceived loss of control over her affections. On September 20th at 10.50 a.m., the jury reached a decision. The almost two-month-long deliberation was necessary as they had over 40 counts to discuss. This was not a typical murder trial where they only had one or two victims. They had multiple crimes to decide on. Richard was found guilty on all 46 counts. Doreen cried. She was devastated. She left the courtroom. The jury had to come back on the 29th for the penalty phase, and at that phase, Richard did not want his attorneys to do anything. He'd rather die than live in a cell. That way, he could get to hell to be by Satan's side. The jury took five days to cover all the counts, and on October 3rd, they were read into the record. On November 9th, the judge officially handed down 19 death sentences, 13 for murder, 6 for other charges, plus 6 years for each of the additional charges. Richard addressed the court and read a statement. You don't understand me. You are not expected to. You are not capable. I am beyond your experience. I am beyond good and evil. I will be avenged. Lucifer dwells in all of us. I don't know why I'm even wasting my breath, but what the hell? For what is said in my life, there have been lies in the past, and there will be lies in the future. I don't believe in the hypocritical, moralistic dogma of this so-called civilized society. I need not look beyond the courtroom to see all the lies, the haters, the killers, the crooks, the paranoid cowards, truly the tomatoes of the earth. You maggots make me sick. Hypocrites, one and all. We are all expendable for a cause. No one knows that better than those those who kill for policy, clandestinely or openly, as do the governments of the world, which kill in the name of God and country. I don't need to hear all of society's rationalizations. I've heard them all before. Legions of the night, night breed, repeat not the errors of the night prowler, and show no mercy. Watching him read his statement, you can feel the contempt rolling off of him. This guy is human garbage. He murdered and raped for his own sick pleasure. Just because governments do it for their unjust policies does not excuse what he did, nor does it make it right ever. Richard was angry he was caught. I believe he did this for show. 
the way he presented himself changed over the course of the trial. The more people paid attention to him, the more he had to show off to present more of a bad boy persona. So yeah, he was just showing off for his followers to keep them entertained so they would continue to fawn over him and stroke his ego. Richard was a narcissistic ass munch who felt entitled to people's suffering for his own gratification. <sighs> After being found guilty, his response to the reporters was, Big deal. Death always came with a territory. See you in Disneyland. Cynthia surprised everyone as she had been objective and found him guilty and voted to sentence him to death. She felt he had poor legal representation that left her with no choice but to vote that way. They had not given the jury any migrating circumstances. Cynthia thought the defense should have argued that he was possessed by the devil. She would go on to change careers and become a private investigator to help Richard with an appeal. She joined his defense team, and this allowed her more access to him in jail, where they could meet in a private room without the plexiglass and with him unshackled. This allowed them to be able to kiss when the guards weren't looking. She did beg Richard for forgiveness for voting the way she did, and he did forgive her, just in case anyone was wondering, or actually gave a fuck. Doreen on the other hand, was very upset by this verdict, especially how pretty much everyone else was ecstatic and extremely happy with the death sentences. She honestly believed that the trial was unfair and there was no way it would be upheld on appeal, that he would win that appeal. Richard was a monster. He was a child molester, and they should have at least charged him with the six-year-old's abduction and molestation. She wanted to testify. She wanted to make sure he could not do it to another little girl, but they took that away from her as they thought they knew what was best. He should have had that label, but because he didn't, that could give his disgusting women a way to deny the accusations against him. They fell in love with a child molester. These women would be in competition for his affections. He played them all to get their money and to have something to pass his time with. They fed his ego. Doreen gave him her all and would wait 10 to 20 hours for a 30 minute visit with him. They married in 1996. She believed she was the only one Richard actually cared about. She said, quote, All the others were a bunch of freaks and weirdos who wanted to use Richard for all their own aggravations and kicks. But I didn't want anything for myself. It was only what I could do for him, how I could help him. Oh, and once she had been asked about his crimes and if he were to be convicted, she had said, None of that matters. I love him for who he is. You have to take the good with the bad when you're in love. You heard that. She did not care that he was a monster who brutalized children. Women like this are worse. Not holding men accountable for their actions calls them to think it's okay. I read an article on what type of women falls in love with incarcerated men. The only thing these women had in common was the vast majority had abusive fathers or had been in abusive relationships. Also, the vast majority had at least one family member who had been incarcerated. 
but they came from all ages, all different socioeconomic backgrounds, all different educational levels. Now, Richard was convicted for the L.A. murders. He still had the other murders to be tried for. And at this point, Richard did get a new lawyer, and that lawyer was going to enter a plea of insanity for the Pans murdered. San Francisco decided to drop charges and would only bring them forth if he won his appeal for the L.A. murders. They did this so if he won his insanity plea, it would not overturn the other convictions. This decision probably extended Richard's existence on earth because the amount of charges and having to examine everything, he did not get his automatic appeal to 2006, 17 years after his conviction. At that point, the average time in that in the nation, one spent on death row was 13 years. A weird fact, the year before his appeal, California had 667 men on death row, which meant there were 666 other men along with Richard on death row. This amount of people on death row meant it would take longer for their automatic appeals to make their way through the court system. If San Francisco had prosecuted and won, Richard would have been executed, as this case would have gone through faster. Instead, on June 7, 2013, he died of cancer. Richard was 53 years old. He served 23 years on death row. For the most part, I am against the death penalty. I feel being locked up in a small cage for the rest of their life is a worse punishment. Not only that, but because of the automatic appeals, there's a chance a murderer, a real murderer's conviction can be overturned and the families would have to go through another trial and worse than being found not guilty the second time. There's less of a chance of that happening if there is sentence to life imprisonment, but by limiting executions the vilest of the vile, People like Ramirez, who lost the right to exist on this planet, can be executed within a reasonable time instead of being on death row for decades and dying of natural causes. But the court system does need these automatic appeals as innocent people have been executed and now with DNA, many are getting off death row as it proves them innocent. So anyways, after Richard's conviction, he said he would only talk about what he was convicted of, nothing else. This hinted at that there was more murders. And in 2009, Richard's DNA was matched to the murder of a nine-year-old girl in San Francisco. April 10, 1984, nine-year-old Mi Lang, a Chinese-American girl, had been murdered in the basement of a hotel in San Francisco, the same hotel Ramirez was living in at the time. She was raped and stabbed to death. Afterwards, her body was hanged from a pipe in the basement. In 2009, they matched Ramirez's DNA and another underage person who has been identified but the name has not been released because of this person's age. They matched both their DNA to the DNA found at the scene. This DNA evidence that linked Richard to a murder was too much for Doreen, and she separated from him.
I guess it was easy to deny his culpability with the evidence there was, but not actual DNA evidence that says without a doubt he is a child molester and a murderer. I believe there could be more murders. After he was arrested and the San Francisco police took him to their jail, he hinted to them he was responsible for the murder of two elderly women on Telegraph Hill in San Francisco. They didn't link him to Mies till 2009, and there were periods with no known assaults. Richard also traveled a lot to Texas. Could there have been victims there? In L.A., he stayed near the bus station, kept his stuff in a locker there. Could he have randomly jumped on a bus and went to some random destination? He had no problems breaking into random homes where he did not know who was inside. I believe there could be way more victims. Plus, Richard got enjoyment out of deciding who lived and who died. This makes me wonder how many potential victims there could have been. How many homes did he break into and for some arbitrary reason decided not to harm the occupants and left? Richard also was never remorseful for any of his crimes. He thought it would help him go to hell and be next to Satan for all eternity. Survivors of the Night Soccer did suffer. Many suffered from sleep disorders and they were really traumatized. One survivor talked about how her daughter wouldn't hug her anymore and told her she was ugly because her face was damaged by Ramirez. Richard's nieces and nephews suffered cruelty at the hands of other children for being related to him. It was not their fault. They are children, but children can be cruel, especially if they hear this shit from adults. It further supports their cruelty as adults are giving support through their words. Children should not suffer because of adults' actions. One of his nieces discussed in a documentary how she was made to go visit him in prison and when she was 12, he asked her to get up and move against the wall so he could see her better. Visits were between plexiglass. She thought he wanted to see her dress, but then he made disgusting comments to her about what he would have done to her. But I'm not done yet. Let's back paddle to 1991. In June 1991, Jack Unterweger checked into room 1402 at the Cecil Hotel, Richard Ramirez's old room, from when he would stay at the Cecil Hotel. He was interested in Ramirez. Remember in the first episode, I said people called in tips that they saw a man disposing of bloody clothes in the dumpster behind the hotel, and then a man in just his underwear would be seen walking down the halls? Richard frequently stayed at this hotel, a hotel that has become infamous in its own right. Jack was from Austria and in 1974 was sent to prison for life for the murder of an 18-year-old named Margaret. He was paroled in 1990 because of his writing ability. Because he was a good writer, people thought he had been rehabilitated. He had powerful people advocating for his release, but the president refused to pardon him until he served the minimum 15-year sentence that was required of people who were sentenced to life in prison in Austria. 
After he was released, almost immediately a string of murders happened where the women were strangled with their bras. Which, I didn't mention, 18-year-old Margaret had been strangled with her bra. Jack became a true crime writer for a magazine and was sent to L.A. to write about the differences between European and American prostitution. He was able to ride along with the police as they patrolled the streets of known prostitutes. They got prostitutes to be comfortable with Jack and talk to him. While he was in L.A., three prostitutes were murdered, Shannon, Irene, and Peggy. They were linked together because of being strangled to death with their bras and sexually assaulted with tree branches. Jack went back to Austria, where the police were able to link the murders to Jack. All the murders were linked because of strangulation with the victim's bra and the way he tied them. Jack and his girlfriend fled, and he tried to convince the people who had supported him before that he was innocent. He was captured in Florida and extradited back to Austria, where he was tried for 11 murders, including the ones in L.A., Austria has different laws than the U.S., so somehow their laws allowed them to try him for the L.A. murders. He was found guilty of nine murders and sentenced to life imprisonment. He never served any time in prison for these murders. Six hours after he was convicted, he was found hanging in his jail cell before they could move him to a prison. And that concludes the final episode in my three-part series on the Night Stalker. So, this was a heavy case. I did not know what I was getting into when I started this case. But it has given me some insight on how to proceed with my future episodes in my podcast. I have learned not to break it up into sections and do my episodes on each section, but instead I have learned to get all the research done, write my episodes, and then record them. So if I do a serial killer again, I will probably take two weeks to do all my research and record the episodes, but I will let you know if I am skipping a week to cover a huge case, but then you will get more than one episode when I release the case. One day, I will have my method down pat. Thank you for going on this learning experience with me and listening to my podcast. Um, next week, I'm not fully sure what I will be doing, but I will have an episode up. So thank you, and until next time, make sure you lock your windows. <laughs>